if tomorrow is judgment day And I'm standing on the front line And the Lord asked me what I did with my life I will say I spent it with you Welcome back to the Chris Williams Podcast Hour and this special podcast series highlighting the exciting events happening at St. Augustine's University. We will take a brief look back on some of society's greatest contributors who also happen to be part of a rich St. Augs tradition. Today's podcast series highlights the new St. Augustine's women's basketball coach, Ebony Tanner Moore. Coach Tanner Moore has an infectious winning attitude and positive energy. She is on the podcast today to share her vision at hanging championship banners and building a program which becomes not just a winner, but a contributor to the local community. Make sure you get registered for the inaugural St. Augustine's Athletic Department Golf Tournament. It takes place on Friday, June 18th as part of a big St. Augustine's reunion weekend. The fun begins on Thursday, June 17th, and it ends with a beautiful soiree on Saturday, June 19th. This is your chance to have fun and give to a university that is ready to soar. You can find more information at www.staugfalcons.com. Or you can just call Mr. David Bowser at 919-516-4250. Again, call 919-516-4250 and ask for Coach David Bowser. This is your chance to give. Speaking of giving and contributions, did you know the fourth black woman to ever earn a PhD was born a slave? She also overcame all obstacles to become an author and university president. I speak of none other than the notable St. Augustine's University alum, Dr. Anna Julia Cooper. That's right. St. Augs Falcons do great things, and with your help, they can soar to even greater heights. Thank everyone for listening and giving. This is a special edition of the St. Augs podcast series on the Chris Williams Podcast Hour. Podcast Hour, and today I have an exciting special guest. In 1999, she led Raleigh, North Carolina's Ravenscroft High School to a state title. She followed up her top-rated high school career with a sensational college basketball career at the University of Richmond, where she was named All-Conference, which is All-A-10, two times, and finished her career with over 1,000 points, 500 rebounds, and she is still considered one of the all-time shot-blocking leaders in the history of the school. She went on to play professional women's basketball, and after finishing her storied career, she got into coaching. In January, she was named leader and head coach at St. Augustine's University's women's basketball program, and she is ready to have the Lady Falcon soar. Please help me welcome to this special St. Aug Series podcast the head coach of the St. Augustine's University Women's Basketball Program, Coach Ebony Tanner-Moore. Coach Tanner-Moore, welcome. Thank you for having me. Not a problem at all. I am excited about this because I've had the chance to briefly talk to you, and but we didn't get into details about your career. So 
this is going to be special for me and my listeners. So, again, thank you for coming on, taking the time to share your story, your vision, and your goals with me and my listeners. I am excited. Awesome, awesome. All right, Coach, as I tell all my guests, the podcast will not work unless you share your stories and you shamelessly plug yourself in your program. So please, feel free to brag about you, your vision, and your goals. Good enough? That is good enough. That I can do. All right. All right. So before we get into St. Aug's Women's Basketball Program, can you tell listeners, you know, a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and how basketball became an integral part of your life? Oh, most definitely. So I was born in a small town in North Carolina called Monroe, North Carolina. I only stayed in Monroe, the Marshall area, for three years. My father and my uncle are twins, and they played basketball at Shaw University. So when I was three years old, um, my mother packed us up, and we moved to Raleigh um, to join my dad and become, you know, natives of Raleigh while he finished up school at Shaw University. So uh, Raleigh has become home, and although I left a few times and came back, um, this is home, and I'm definitely happy to be here. Awesome. That is awesome. So athletics and education obviously were a big part of your life. What were some of the most important lessons your parents stressed to you when you were growing up? We had to have great grades. That was without a doubt, something that was instilled into myself and my sister, who was 10 years younger. So growing up, it was kind of the only child for each other for a while. But I remember getting my first C in third grade. That's how much academics was stressed, that anything that wasn't an A or a B, it became a big deal. So that C was a big deal. Even as I got older, when I turned 16, trying to get my dream car, which I wanted a Jeep Wrangler. I had to get an A in geometry. I worked tirelessly to get that A in geometry. Unfortunately, I still to this day do not have the Jeep Wrangler, but I tried. (laughs) You know, I definitely tried. You made made the effort. I made the effort. It It just didn't happen for me. But it was always important that you did your very best. In everything that you did, you strive to do your very best. And with school, it was no different. In any career, it was no different. In basketball, it was no different. Everything you do, you do as best as you can. Okay. Now, is that an easy lesson that you can teach your, your players? It is something that since I've started coaching, it's something that I try to instill When I get players at 18 years old, they've already had so much instilled in them from, you know, their parents. And now it's just my time to add to it. So it's important for me to do constant reminders. I say the same quotes over and over again. I say the same reminders to try to get it drilled into their system. You know, we're going to work hard. It's non-negotiable. I don't coach effort. You give me effort. And so it's things that I say over and over again so that that one moment it just clicks. And they're like, all right, Coach, we got it. Everything we do, we're going to do hard. Nice, nice, nice. All right. All right, let's talk about your storied high school career. So you started out playing at at South Johnston, and then you went to Ravenscroft. Yes. So I'm a Johnston County girl. So eventually during that time of growing up, my parents moved to Johnston County, and I started going to elementary and middle school in Johnston County. So I started playing in middle school. I started playing late. I started playing around seventh grade in middle school. And now that's definitely really late because kids start early, four or five years old. So starting in middle school was late. But I started playing down there my freshman year. I went to Johnston County. And one of my friends, my best friend actually to this day, introduced me to Ravenscroft because that's where she went. I met her at an AAU team, started playing AAU, um, which was very important, and I stress that to as many kids as possible. It's so important 
the travel ball. It kind of gets you out of, especially when you're in a country school, the way I was, you know, in backwoods, you don't get as much exposure. So that's what travel basketball, AAU basketball gives to you. It gives you the ability to be seen, ways in which you wouldn't be seen otherwise. So playing AAU, I met my best friend, and she was going to Ravenscroft. So after my freshman year, um, my mom thought it would be a good idea if I switched schools. And it was a great decision. Um, my education level soared. I was able to okay. be exposed to things that I wouldn't be able to be exposed to before in the same way that AAU did for me. Like I was able to travel a little bit more, do internships that I had not been able to do before, have the ability to win a championship. So it was definitely yes. a great move. I am appreciative of my time in Johnson County and the education that I got in Johnson County and the basketball that I played. I actually ran track my freshman year at South Johnson. I was on the track team. Um, I ran the 4x2 and the 4x4. Four four. And oh, wow. Those are I did well. Big, yeah. <laughs> yes. But at some point it clicked, like, what am I running for? And that was my only year of running track. <laughs> so... You know, give me a ball and a court, and I'm good. But So I can say I did it. You know, I, I tried okay. another sport. I did it. And I, I had success. I got most improved that year, so I was pretty proud of myself. Okay. Okay. Well, you went on from most improved to being one of the top-rated players in the state, So especially your senior year. Like you said, you led them to a state title in 1999. Talk about that year and how special that was and some of the camaraderie that you had building a championship and being part of a championship program. Yes. So when I joined that Ravenscroft team, I joined a team that had already had success prior to me being there. So I was the new kid. Luckily, I did have the chemistry with my friend Atia, and we had been playing together, so there was chemistry there. That made the inside game really strong because Atia was a, I will say she was a Charles Barkley-like player in the post. And my coach, Coach Neganet, is still at Ravenscroft to this day. He's the athletic director. And he's also a former football player. He played football at Duke, and he just had a hard-nosed, get after it, you guys are going to go hard. I still remember to this day he would always be like, you're being lethargic. I don't know, I don't think I knew what that word meant till later in life, but I heard it every day in practice. And oh, wow. he just brought that entire football mentality to the basketball court. And he made us tough. And so every practice it was head-to-head -head competition so that when we got to games, we were prepared to go our hardest, to outwork the next opponent. And every year, we just got progressively better. So after I arrived at Ravenscroft, the class before me, they had done well, and they had graduated. Players before me went on to, like, UNC Asheville to play. Um, one other player went on to Wingate to play. So they had had success. We had Chandra go to UNC Wilmington. So Ravenscroft was pumping out players that were going to play basketball in college on a regular basis. Oh, wow. Okay. And so when it was our turn, we had to leave our impact with the school as well. And we did. Um, playing with my best friend, we kind of just played off of each other. And there wasn't a game that we went into that I didn't know what she was going to do and she didn't know what I was going to do. So much so that once we got into the recruiting process, Many scouts were thinking that, you know, we were dead set on going to school together, like we had to play together. And that was never the conversation. It was just that our chemistry on the floor was so good. And I remember that championship game my senior year, I fouled out. I left her out to dry. I oh, felt wow. so bad. <laughs> but luckily we had did enough prior to me fouling and hitting everybody that um, we were still able to pull that game out. And to think about it, in retrospect, I was probably trying to block everybody's shots, and that's probably how I found out the game. But luckily we did enough to pull it off. That's awesome. That is awesome. So <laughs> you said in retrospect, you, you were trying to block every shot. 
was the excitement from being in that game, did it just drive up your, you know, were you just more aggressive than in other games, or what would you attribute it to? I think I've always been a little rough around the edges and fouling. I would have to say so. I'm going to attribute that. (laughs) I will attribute that to my dad and my uncle, more so to my uncle, um, being on the aggressive side. I remember going to go watch them play in summer league games around the city, and they would just, you know, foul constantly. Or if a player hit my dad, my uncle would go get him back with the elbow. So I'm watching, you know, I'm watching all of this growing up. And even to the point where I started coaching myself and I would see some of the same referees that coach them or coach or rep some of their league games, and they would look at me and I would say, I am, I am not my uncle. I am not my father. You know, it's cut me slack. I'm not. <laughs> but it was great. I, I mean, it's definitely great to have both of them, um, to see that part of them in myself. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Now, if you could go back to high school, would you change anything? Oh, my, yes. It, wouldn't it be great if we could go back and do things over? I would yes. <laughs> I would probably have more confidence. Because I started playing so late, I had no idea what was ahead of me. I had no idea oh. what the little round ball could do for me. And that's another thing I try to instill in my players. This ball can take you so many places. It can offer you so many opportunities. And if I could go back to high school, I would embrace that so much more. And I would not take a practice for granted. I would not take a coach for granted. I would not take the opportunity to run and get better or go outside and shoot or work on my handle. All of that would be amplified. Okay. That's awesome. That's awesome. Now, you stand six foot three. So were you that tall in high school, or did you have a growth spurt somewhere in between? Or Funny story. So around fifth grade is when my mother – um, became pregnant with my sister. So she would cook all the time. So she, we would, she would be cooking and baking breads, and I would just sit at the counter and eat. So I got really wide during this moment in life. I grew as my sister grew. And after that, I hit a major growth spurt. I stopped going in eighth grade. So I've been the same height since eighth grade. I, I oh, started wow. my growth spurt in fifth grade, and I stopped in eighth grade. Okay, okay. So, right. so eighth grade. So yeah. – <laughs> I'm I'm sure you were getting a lot of attention. So, you know, you're a six foot three. You're one of the best high school players in the state of North Carolina. And I, let me let me say this again: you're six foot three, which makes you a whole foot taller than your current AD at St. Augs University, Coach oh, David Bowser. No. I just want I just I just wanted to throw that Did in there. Put I just that to throw out that there. there. <laughs> I'm gonna have to deal with that later. I'm gonna see you just you just set me up. Even, <laughs> but it's okay. But anyway, I had to I had to say it, Coach Dave. I love you. You know that. But you're six foot three. You're one of the best high school players in the state. So we you briefly touched on the recruiting period, but can you give me more detail on what that recruitment period was like for you? Yes. So I'm going to go back with you a little bit. So as okay. I told you, my father and my uncle were twins that played at Shaw. In 1994, mm-hmm. my father passed away of a blood clot. So luckily, you know, God blessed me with two dads. I had, after I lost my father, my uncle is identical to my father. And he just stepped mm-hmm. in and took his place. So as I started getting better in basketball and trying to figure things out, that was still new to all of us, and it still surprises me in 2021, the recruiting process is still new to a lot of kids. But back in, oh my, let's date myself, back in the 90s, it was really new to me. And I, my mother and I trying to navigate what's the best place to go, what's the best decision to make, it was difficult. And you have all of these letters coming in, and you have all of these coaches calling, and you're trying to figure out what is the best decision? Because you don't want to mess up. Mm-hmm. But right. I, had, I was used to a small environment. Ravenscroft, there was maybe 
10 people in a class, and that was max. So I knew that in the recruiting process, I didn't want to go somewhere where people didn't know my name. I wanted to go somewhere where I knew the professor, the professor knew me, and I wouldn't get swallowed up. The country girl from Johnson County wouldn't get swallowed up in a big city or a big school and kind of lose track of what she wanted to do. It was so important for me in the recruiting process to choose a school, a place where I could leave my name in the record books. I didn't want to be another kid that just went to that school. I wanted to be a kid that could leave a legacy. I wanted people to have to go back and be like, hey, I remember her. And so as I started going through school, that was very important to me. It wasn't going to be big. But I, I have to tell you, it was exciting, as it would be for any kid, to play in a high school game and to see Coach Yao and to see Coach Hatchell sitting in the stands. That's exciting. Mm-hmm. Any kid playing basketball in that era would be excited to have those legends in the gym watching you play. It was an honor. I personally knew I didn't want to be swallowed up in that system. I wanted to go where I would matter, where I was going to be important. And so as I started looking at schools and we went on visits, I remember feeling at home at Richmond. You know, I walked on the campus, and it reminded me a lot of Ravencroft. And I was excited. I was excited at the players that were already on the team. They were very welcoming. Um, And they wanted to stay there. And that's another thing that you want in the recruiting process. Players want to go where they're wanted, and that's very important. Even today, players, you know, you're building relationships and you're letting people know that they matter. So that has kind of carried over from my recruiting process as well. I remember what you're going through. I remember the excitement and the confusion that all comes with it. And I try to alleviate it as much as possible, but it's still a lot. It's a stressful time for a 17-, 18-year-old kid. Okay. It's like you're making a decision, your life decision. Yes. Yes, it is a life decision. (laughs) So, and how I wanted to play off of that next was I was going to ask you, just based on your recruiting experiences, I I have three questions, or I had three questions. Okay. So first was, what are some of the lessons that you took away from that experience? You kind of touched on it. So, but... And when I ask you these, it's more related to your approach to taking your experience and then turn it into being a coach and recruiter and the message that you have to give these young ladies. So based on your recruiting experience, you know, what are some of the lessons that you took away from that experience? Honesty. I would definitely say Honesty. In the recruiting process, a lot of people tell you what you want to hear. And then as time unfolds, as you get to do a little bit of research on your own, you find out what you've been told is not always the complete truth. So I try to be transparent as much as I possibly can to parents that I speak to, to my student athletes. I'm not trying to sugarcoat it. This is who we are. This is who I am. So I hope that you like what you get. I hope that you like the product because I'm not going to blow it up to make you think it's something that it's not. I remember when I made the decision to go to Richmond, we received letters in the mail from other college coaches bashing the coach that I was about to go play for, talking badly about him or his, you know, coaching avenues that he had stopped before. And I had no idea. I just knew that I was thankful that I didn't go play for the person that sent me those letters because at any point in time, someone can do it back to you. I'm really big on karma. I like putting good things out, getting good things back in. So I knew then that I was thankful, that I felt like I made the better decision for me, and I knew as a coach that's not what I would want to do. I'm not going to be the coach that bashes another coach. We all have our own story. We're all going through our own things, and we're all trying to figure it out. So as I do the recruiting process now, and if I hear 
a student tell me, well, this coach said this, great, that is what that coach said. And some things you have to figure out yourself. And I will definitely do my very best to tell you everything I know and to stay completely open within the recruiting process. Okay. All right. And then what advice do you have for young student athletes that are in a similar position? Go do your own research. Go to the universities. Go visit them on your own. Go visit unofficially. Talk to the coaches. Build these relationships. And these are literally lifelong relationships. I remember, so at Richmond we had some coaching changes during my four years there. I ended up getting a brand-new coach my junior year and Joanne Boyle, um, she came from Duke as her first head coaching job, so there was a change. But even throughout that, I had different assistants. And I had one assistant, Tajma Nagomba. She was a post. I remember getting letters when I was being recruited from GW about her and her career, and that meant something to me. I would post it on the wall and just be so excited to watch her career because there was a young lady who looked like me, who played the position I played, who showed me what I could be. Representation is so important to young people. And she was my representation. And through the chains of life, she ended up being my coach. And she ended up being a coach that kind of changed my entire perspective. It changed my perspective on the type of coach that I would want to be and the type of coach that I would want to play for. And it was just a different type of inspiration. So as I maneuver my own career and into my own coach, I channel that as well. And so building relationships is just so important so that you know it's okay to come in and talk to your coach, that you know, and you feel safe. You feel in that safe space to go in there and have a conversation, sometimes a hard conversation with that person. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Now, as a recruiter, have your experiences impacted you more in the positive or do you just does it or does it cause you to shy away from certain things? Oh no, I don't shy away from anything. I, I face it all head on. I think my experiences have made me better. They have definitely prepared me not to be surprised at anything that I may see in the in the realm of this career. So I am the mother of three. I have three girls because I have a 12-year-old Taylor, 9-year-old Tiffany, and a 6-year-old Trinity. When Taylor was born, I knew that I had to be the type of coach that I would want to coach my child. So my whole avenue changed. So I went from a young coach that, you know, you mirror what you're used to. So I'm mirroring that old football coach that's like, get after it, you got to go. I'm mirroring my pro career where they're like, you got to tape up and get back in the game to the point that when I become a mother, now I'm dealing with someone else's child. So how would I want someone to coach my child? How would I want someone to deal with my child? How would I want someone to talk to my child? How would I want someone to deal with my child who's three, four, five hours away from home and what she's used to. So at that point in time, I knew that I was going to be a player's coach. I'm going to be that coach that the doors open, come in and talk to me, let's figure it out. I'm going to be that coach the mom or the dad can call and get a little bit of relief in checking in on their child, not giving out more information than the child wants me to, but at least reassuring the parent that they're okay and they're safe. And that has been who I am from my time at Shaw, from my time at Richmond, to my time at Hartford, to my time back at Shaw, to now. I want it to be a player's coach. I want it to be that coach that my players can relate to, but also respect because they understand I'm not going to tell them anything wrong or anything that's going to lead them into a bad situation or a wrong direction. That is awesome. You are definitely on your way to success. I've had the opportunity to speak to a a lot of successful coaches, and that has been one of the constants. It's, you know, what you started out, the coach you started out as being a single person or not having kids to what you develop or evolve to once you have kids and how it changes your philosophy and actually makes you better. 
So I'm glad you recognize that, and I look mm-hmm. forward to uh, big things from you, big things. All right. Mm-hmm. So I want, I want to talk a little bit about your uh, college career, uh, playing okay. at the University of Richmond. Of course, you were selected all-conference two times, um, over 1,000 points, 500 rebounds, and still – one of the all-time best shot blockers. So brag on those accomplishments. <laughs> brag and what was on it those. like? Yeah, and what was it like to be the big woman on campus? Okay, well, it didn't start out that way, Chris, and I think that's what a lot of student athletes fail to realize. We come in from high school at the top of our career. I came in off a state championship. I'm at the top of the world. And then you enter college and you have these seniors and juniors that are like, you know, you got to wait your turn and earn your spot. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't see it that way. I walked in like, I'm better than you. It's time to play. And so, you know, they, they put you through the drills. They make sure you get an extra elbow here and there. They make sure you get an extra hit. I remember preseason was always tough for me because we had to run a mile. And I told you I ran track, but I ran those short distances. You're telling me to run a mile in six minutes and 45 seconds, and just like that Jeep, this has never happened. So it's all of this big things, and you're like, man. But And I still remember Coach Bob Foley. Um, I had a little mouth on me. Chris, I had to, you know, I had to get it under control, lower myself, humble myself as a freshman player. But it got to the point he would just point, and that point signaled for me, for Ebony, to go run the stadium stairs because either I had said something or I had did something that I was not supposed to do. And so um, I ran a lot of stadium stairs my freshman year in college. Just for preparation, just prepared me, you know, prepared me for better. But I set a lot of screens my freshman year. I rebounded the ball and passed it out a lot my freshman year. But I knew I wanted more. I knew I wanted to be a better player. I wanted to make a difference. So I worked. I was in there during the, during the summer getting extra work in. I was in there after practice getting extra work in. And a change started to happen. And that change was I got the ball more. I wasn't the kid that had to set screens anymore. I was the kid that they had to get the ball to. I wasn't the kid that could only rebound and pass the ball back out. I was the kid that if it was two people on me, it wasn't enough. You probably needed to bring a third because I'm still going to try to figure out a way to score. And I pulled my time. And I think that's hard for us big-headed freshmen sometimes that come in and try to conquer the world and think that we're better than the juniors and seniors that have already paid their time. But I paid my time. And I was able to go in there, and after Joanne Boyle came, she sat me in her office, and she said, you're going to have to play a lot. She said, in order to play a lot, you're going to have to be in great shape. And so now, I don't like to run, Chris, my whole demeanor just drops, you know, because she's telling me I'm going to have to do (laughs) extra workouts, and I'm like, you know, I'm a junior, I did this, but I respected that the new coach coming in the door was going to rely on me. She wasn't bringing someone else in over me. She knew that she could build her program around me and what we already had. So I was out there. I was out there on the track, you know, every morning running still, same way I had done the years before, only because those times I hadn't passed my conditioning test. She had a little bit of sympathy for me and moved my mile time up to 7 minutes and 15 seconds. I made that. Okay. But I still okay. had to run extra, right? I had to get in 40-minute shape. So I was still up early in the morning with the football players on the field during their early morning, mat drills and stuff. I was out there with them, out there running. So, but it paid off. It definitely paid off when we got to the court. And we could compete with bigger schools. In the A-10 at that time, we were playing Xavier and Dayton. And, you know, bigger St. Joe's. LaSalle, bigger public schools that could get a little bit more people in than we could at Richmond, and we could compete. You know, we didn't go in and fall or falter. We were competitive, and that was important. I mean, we played against UMass. Some of the same players that I played against in college are still playing in the league. 
And we're talking about I was in college almost 20 years ago. And so, you know, it was a great time in the A-10 with a lot of players that were really good. So it was definitely a great time to be playing and a great time to be able to leave my name in record books and be all-conference at that time when there were so many great players playing in the league. Okay. All right. All right. If you could pick one memory from college, what would be the greatest memory you could share? And if you have two, that's fine. But what would be the greatest memory you could share? I think that would go twofold. We went on foreign tours where we would go, we would come back early in the summer and practice to get ready to go overseas and play against a few teams. So we went to London and France to play games. That was a great opportunity. It was the first time that I got a passport. It was the first time I got on a plane, a huge plane, you know, to me it was humongous, to fly across the water. And you don't get that experience everywhere. And I am thankful even to this day it chartered my love for travel because now I don't want to sit still. My passport expired and I was antsy waiting on my new one. And it just sparked something in me that wasn't there before. But prior to, I already told you because I didn't like running, prior to that trip, we had to run 20 suicides in 20 minutes. It's probably the worst day of my life. (laughs) But I survived, and I was able to get on that plane and go. So, you know, you got to labor through to get to the best part. And even as a coach, we did that again. And this time I was able to experience that with other children, with other kids, instead of me being the kid that got this opportunity. I'm a part of the staff giving this opportunity to another player, and that was awesome. Okay. And, and like you said earlier, it's amazing what that little round ball was able yeah. to allow you to do. That, that is yeah. – uh, and then that lesson just keeps on growing for you, and hopefully you're sharing that. So – Speaking of travel, um, how important was it for you and how important is it for your players to have a good life balance as an athlete and as a student? That is something that we continue to juggle and try to figure out um, every day. So with me, I have to write things down. I have to write out my life. I've made a calendar from May to August, planning out every day and everything that I have to do. And it just made life easier for me. So I try to do that for my players. I try to let them know in advance, this is what we have going on. This is when you're going to have lift. This is when you're going to have conditioning. These are when games are. These are when we are leaving. This is everything you have to take. Because in this, in that normal run of a day, we have so much going on that oftentimes we're able to forget what we're supposed to be doing, where we're supposed to be. And we can't be late. We cannot show up where someone is expecting us to be. So let's write it down. Let's figure it out. Let me help you get the schedule together. And that was very difficult for my players when I got here in January because they had had all this free time due to COVID and not having a coach prior to they had all this free time. And when I get here and I say, we're doing things five days a week, you have something to do every day. You have study hall, you have lift, you have workouts, you have team practice, you have meetings with me. They're looking at me, you know, eyes big like there's not enough time in the day. You know, like what is she expecting from me? And so then I put it in perspective. I said, I'm only asking for eight hours of your time a week. I said, pretty soon I'll be asking for 20. So we have to figure out this eight hours so that we can tackle this 20 that I'm coming for. You know, it's coming. So Mm -hmm. I think it took them a a couple weeks to figure it out. But once they got it, they were on it. Um, 
And it was nothing for me to be like, I need you to go read a book to our kid, or I need you to go over here with me, and they could put that in their schedule because they figured out how to make everything work. And it worked for us. And it's new, but we're all figuring it out. And it's, it's working thus far. Okay, okay. That's, that's great. That is great. Oh, lessons they'll be able to live with for forever. So I love that. I love that. All right. So you graduate from Richmond, and then you go on to play professional basketball. So tell us about your professional career. Okay. So after Richmond, I, for some reason during that year, the WNBA was in a little bit of flux and some things we're trying to figure out. So I went to a couple combines, and I ended up going to a combine in Washington State. And there, you know, I played against some really great talent, and I ended up getting an agent while I was out there. And she secured me a job in Israel. So my first year out, I went to Ashdod, Israel. Terrified. I remember the day before my flight was supposed to leave to go to Israel, my mom coming in my room like, are you sure? Is it, are you sure this is what you want to do? But I was so excited. And Israel was not a disappointment. Um, Israel is absolutely beautiful. And many places reminded me a lot of home, a lot. Like I felt like Tel Aviv was a mini New York City. So it wasn't that foreign. It was definitely took some getting used to, not knowing the language and having to learn how to say please and thank you and where's the bathroom or asking for help. But my teammates were great in helping with that. And in Israel, we could have three Americans on the team, and that's a lot. So you're coming over there with three people um, whose language you can speak. So you're coming over there with a friend to kind of help you out. And not only do you have three Americans on your team, there's three Americans on every team, and then there's also the men's players. So you kind of build a camaraderie. You're in a foreign country, but you're not too far away from things that are normal. And you have this orange ball that you all have in common. So when nothing else is there, you can always go play. And I enjoyed every moment of that up until I got injured. So not too many games in, I was – running the court for a layup, my point guard threw me a ball. I went up, caught it, and came down on my knee, messed my knee up. The athletic trainer at that time was a war vet, and only thing he knew was to get me back in the game, to get me back in the war. You know, no man left behind. Fix your soldier, get her back. So he took ice in a can, and he sprayed it point blank on my skin, wrapped my knee back up, and put me back in the game. And I was only about able to go probably another four or five minutes before my knee completely gave out. But what happened, because of the direct contact of the ice in the can on my leg, I got a third-degree burn on my leg, and it bubbled up pretty bad, so they couldn't fix me. Um, They had to wait for the burn to heal to figure out what was wrong with my knee. So I ended up being immobile in a foreign country um, in my room, laying in the bed. Um, My teammates would bring me food um, or whomever was around would come, you know, check on me and make sure I needed anything. They were there for me. So I'm in Israel on crutches going about my day-to-day life. You know, they're taking me to rehab, but they have to wait on this burn to heal. So by the time the burn heals, I have to learn how to walk again. It's amazing how you do something for so long every day and an injury happens and you forget how to do it. And I was just so shocked that when they took the crutches and said walk, I couldn't, that my brain had completely forgotten something that I had done for so long. So I rehabbed, and once I I was able to go home, that's what I did. They got me well enough to return to the States, and once I returned to the States, you know, I finished my rehab here. And that was grueling for me, and I'll tell my players that, too. I'm a basketball player. You know, like, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. But my body wasn't able to at that moment in time. So I rehabbed enough to start playing again. And I realized when I was playing, I wasn't the player that I was before. So I stopped playing, and I just started training, started training again, because I did not want to go out there. And I told you I'm a competitor. I did not want to go out there and play 
and someone beat me who would have not ever had the opportunity to beat me had I been 100%. So I didn't go play pickup or compete against anyone until I was physically ready. And um, it it took about a year to get completely back where I felt like, okay, no one, they they can't handle me. I got this. And so I headed to Greece after that. I told my agent I was ready, um, and I caught a plane to Greece for my next country. And Greece was definitely different, um, absolutely beautiful. Israel was too. I, I have to tell you, and I could do it today, there's nothing like opening your window and waking up on the Mediterranean. It was absolutely beautiful. Like if any 22 or 23-year-old, even now, I would love to open my window um, to that, but Israel nor Greece owe me anything. Both countries were absolutely beautiful, and the history within the country, I was in awe of. We live in the U.S., and I am grateful for that. That is one thing my travel has taught me, that we live in a great country that provides so much freedom and opportunity for us to do so many things. But Europe and these countries overseas have such rich history. They're older than the U.S., and it's just so much you can explore and learn when you're there. So I'm grateful for the opportunity. Um, And I can't say it enough. I'm grateful for the places that little orange ball took me. It took me places that I never would have been able to see or go had I not picked up a ball in sixth grade or had I not had that influence of my father and my uncle introducing me to that sport. So I'm grateful. I'm grateful for the opportunity to go to another country and have success and play and just get the whole experience. So I'll say to any player that is capable and the opportunity presents itself, go. It's the best time of your life, and you can do whatever it is you had planned on doing later. You can do it when you get back. It'll still be here. The opportunity will still be here. But take the chance while you can to go to another country, to play the sports you love somewhere else, and meet new people. That is great advice. Great advice. All right. All right. So your your playing days begin to wind down. At what point did you decide that you wanted to become a coach? After I got back from overseas and I decided that, you know, I wanted to see what was next with life, I got a job at a corporate 500 company sitting in a cubicle in Research Triangle Park (laughs) out here. And, Chris, I found myself staring at the wall, staring at the wall, staring at the ceiling, like, why am I trapped? You know, like, I can't get out. You know, I can knock this work out easily. It has to be more. Luckily, I was young enough with no responsibility that one day I just said, I don't want to do this anymore. And I walked out, and I never looked back. I spoke to Doc Curtis, the head coach at Shaw University, who I've known for a very long time, and asked for opportunity. And I started out volunteering at Shaw University. And it started my career path. I started out as a volunteer. So I tell people, you got to start somewhere. And you have to work your way up. But he gave me an opportunity. He, he took the kid fresh off the plane that thought she could go into corporate America, um, but felt trapped by the walls. And I, I needed to be in the gym. So I started out there volunteering. The next year, I got on staff. Um, my third year after we won a CIAA championship, I got my ring, went to the NCAA tournament, and my alma mater called. So I got a call from Michael Schaefer at the University of Richmond asking if I would be interested in coming back to Richmond to coach. And I absolutely was. It was a great opportunity to go back to the place that it all started for me. And I stayed at mm-hmm. Richmond for eight years. And we had wow. lots of success. We had multiple 20-game win seasons, had some WNIT appearances, and I was able to build some awesome relationships at Shaw before and at Richmond with, with my players. And I think back now, too, I felt like I was so much older than them when I was coaching. And now you look back and you're like, we're, we're really not that far apart. You know, we're really close in age. But... um 
So I stayed at Richmond for eight years, and Kim McNeil was my point guard my freshman year at Richmond. I was the center. She was the point guard. And we just built a great friendship, a great sisterhood, and we talked about coaching together at some point. She always knew she wanted to coach, and I was trying to figure it out. And she ended up getting a head job at the University of Hartford in Connecticut. And so once she got it, it was a no-brainer. Off to Connecticut we went. And it was a great experience. I am a southern girl by heart, Chris, and it's cold. I I lived through my first and my only, and I'm not going to say my last because we don't know where life takes us, but I lived through my Mm -hmm. first, Nor'easter, and – after that season, I had to look at her and say, we can't do this. We can't do this. And I'm sorry, but, you know, we're going back south. Um, and, you know, I felt bad because she was my friend, but at the end of the day, you kind of got to do what's best for all those involved. And I ended up back in Richmond. Um, I didn't coach. I took a year off from coaching. I coached a boys' high school basketball team at Lynn Haven Academy. We went undefeated oh, wow. that season. I was, you know, very, very happy with that. And I mm-hmm. did some commentating at the University of Richmond. I did some play-by-play calls and absolutely loved it. Um, so it was a nice break. It was definitely a nice year-off break from the usual grind of coaching college basketball. And then I got a phone call. I got a phone call from Jock Curtis again at Shaw University asking if I would be willing to come back home and restore some of the glory we had from back in the day. And it was a no-brainer, home. You know, Raleigh, aunts, uncles, mom, sister, cousins, it was a great opportunity to come back home. And I came there in 2017, and um, I got the phone call in the fall of last year where Jock was like, would you be interested? I said, absolutely, you know. Growing up, you know, I knew of St. Augustine, I knew of Shaw, um, but I had never really been to campus. I had never really explored what campus was about. And so when the job opportunity became available and I started doing my research and I started talking to Coach Bowser, I was excited. I was excited at all the things that could be done, all the things that was new. I'm like, I'm a winner. I know how to win. I've had success. Let's do it. And let's do it at home. Let's bring success back to Raleigh. And so I'm excited. I'm excited for where we're going to go and what we're going to do and the type of student athletes that we're going to pump out of here. Okay. All right. Obviously a special opportunity for you. You, you, The excitement is bubbling in you now talking about the call that you got and the opportunity you have with uh, St. Augustine's. So what should the community expect from you and your program? Okay. The community should expect to see us. We're going to make a statement. We're going to be out there. We're going to be helping as much as we can. One thing that is so important to me is the fact that we've been given so much. You know, we have had – We've been blessed with this pedestal, with this opportunity, and we have to give it back to others. And that's another thing I pour into my student athletes. You have to give back. So we're in the community. We're going to show our face. We're going to be there. We're going to be there to help. If there's a house that needs to be built for Habitat, we're going to build it. If there's some kids that need to be read to, we're going to read it. We're going to do all those things to help our community while we're also putting their work on the court. We want those people that we're supporting to come back and support us and be in the gym and watch us win these games and watch us hang these banners and watch us win these rings um, that we're going to have on our fingers because of the success that we're going to have. I love it. I love that. I love that. All right. Let's quickly play fill in the blank. All right. Okay. If If I were playing for Coach Ebony Tanner Moore, I should expect blank. You should expect to hear the truth at all moments in time, but never take it personal. So, Chris, you had a bad day in practice. Trust and believe after practice, Coach is going to walk you to the side and say, 
you really did not bring it today. We're going to figure it out. Then you will come back to the office, and it's over. So she's always going to be honest. I'm going to give you that sandwich approach. <laughs> love it. <laughs> I love it. All right. And Coach Ebony Tanner Moore is going to always expect blank from me. Maximum effort. Every day. All right. Okay. I love it. I love it. All right. So we have to talk about this because it's affected everyone. But the pandemic. So it's your first year as head coach. How has it impacted you, and what ways has it made you better? Okay, wow. Great question. So it has impacted me in the way of how can I be a coach without players or without a team. It definitely made me question (laughs) who I was when we're all sitting at home. I can't call myself a coach without a team or without players. And they couldn't call themselves basketball players because they couldn't go in the gym. So it definitely makes you question, you know, your identity. But it was a time to take a pause. Like, we didn't think it could be done. We didn't think that everything we had to do could not be done. And that quick we were shown, you don't have to do any of those things. (laughs) Like, it's a privilege. And we talk about how this generation of children – feel so privileged and how they should be given things without, you know, any appreciation or deserving it. But we were the same way. It was without a thought. I just, why why can't I go to work? I can go to work. Why do I have to wear a mask? And so it was a good time to just sit back and just be, to just sit back and have the option to do nothing. I can clean up or I cannot clean up, you know. I can go for a walk or I don't have to. There's nothing that's so pressing where you can't sit back and value the time that you do have. So it was a great time of reflection on who am I if I'm not a coach? Who am I if I don't have a team? Who am I if I'm a basketball player but I can't play basketball? So I appreciate that part of the pandemic. The rest of it can go away. I appreciate the fact that it let us know that life can stop. But the rest of it, mm-hmm. you know, I can go without. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Now, a big part of this podcast series is to make people aware of St. Augs and to get people that are inside the St. Augs community and outside the community involved and give to the university. So, and I know you haven't had a full season yet, but from what you've experienced so far, in what areas can donations really assist and have a positive impact on the university and your student athletes? The gym. I would say the gym needs some revamping. The locker room needs some revamping. To give the players the overall experience, of what it's like to be a college athlete. I remember in college going to the locker room in the middle of the day. That was our space. That was our space to just be for a second. And our student athletes don't have that. They don't have the space to just go and call it theirs. They share a locker room, and it's usually just used within your season. So those upgrades to locker rooms and facilities and giving them their own space to just be is important because you spend so much time involved around athletics, whether you're in conditioning, whether you're in weightlifting, whether you're in practice, whether you're in one-on-one workout sessions. You spend so much of your time consumed in that space that sometimes you just need your own area within that space to decompress. And that's what I would want to give our student athletes. If I had to say this is what – my gift to the Falcons at St. Augustine's University would be, it would be their space. And that would be for every sport. That would be for football, men's basketball, women's basketball, softball, volleyball, their own individual space. Okay. That is awesome. That is awesome. All right. So what, and and you touched on this a little bit, but what is your vision for the St. Augustine's women's basketball program And what are some of your goals? My vision is for us to hang some banners 
in Emory Gymnasium because there's not enough for women's basketball banners hanging from the rafters. My vision is to give these student athletes the experience of what it feels like to win, what it feels like to win a conference championship, what it feels like to go to the NCAA tournament. It is a remarkable feeling that not everyone is fortunate enough to be able to experience, and that's what I want to give them. I want to be able to instill in them when someone speaks of St. Augustine's University women's basketball, when someone speaks of a St. Augustine's University basketball player, they're going to talk about how relentless they are on and off the court. They're going to talk about their dedication to the program and the university. They're going to talk about their commitment. They're going to talk about their accountability. They're going to talk about if you see a St. Augustine's women's basketball player and she tells you A, B, or C, you can count on A, B, or C being done. And you can count on if they're not able to do it, they're going to take responsibility for it. One of the biggest quotes that my players hear all the time, I told you I like to drill things into their head. I tell them, you are free to choose, but you are not free of the consequences of your choice. So let's be accountable. Let's take care of our business from the beginning and do it well and do it in a way where people will respect you and want to come back and deal with you again. So when you see one of my players, they're going to have a demeanor. They're going to have a stamina about them that's going to intrigue you. You're going to want to get to know more about them. You're going to want to come watch them play. You're going to want to be a part of their journey because you know it's going to end successfully. Okay. That's awesome. All right. So if all the expectations are met, recruiting, fundraising, and atmosphere, five years from now, how will St. Augustine's women's basketball be mentioned? One of the best to do it in the 2000s. They, they've been hanging banners for the past five years. It's the expectation people are coming from far and wide to watch us play. Because when you watch them, you are entertained and you enjoy what you see on the court. It will be a championship program. Okay. All right. I like that. I like that. So I'm going to put you on the spot now. Okay. Why Why should top players want to play at St. Augs instead of other places? They should want to play at St. Augs because you're going to get that family-like atmosphere. You're not going to be a number. You're going to be known, and you're going to walk campus, and people are going to know who you are. And then you get to play for me, which is one of the, the top tiers of it all. You're going to be able to play for someone who did it. I did what you did. I understand it. I get it. I know it's hard. I know it's a grind. But I promise you, if you want it to take you places, it will. If you want to leave a legacy here at St. Augustine University, it can be done, and I can help you get there, and so can my coaching staff. We've had success, and we can show you what it takes to be successful. Okay. Okay. There's a great reason to come play for Coach Ebony Tanner Moore. So before yeah. we wrap this up, shameless plug time, another shameless plug. I need okay. you to brag on yourself a little bit more. Plug your social media and your upcoming camps. Okay, awesome. So you can follow me on Twitter at Coach Ebony, S-A-U. Also on Instagram at Coach Ebony, S-A-U as well. And find lots of great stuff. We also have a SAU underscore WBB, SAU Women's Basketball Instagram and Twitter page as well. So make sure you follow both um, tags. That way you can get all the information on what's going on with us. We have postings of the great accomplishments our players are doing, from TikToks to being voted presidents of their business chapters. They're doing lots of great things, and it started already. They are leaving a great beginning to what's going to be who we are as a program. They've already started. And you're going to see my players reading books to kids. You're going to see us out there. So make sure you follow us and keep up with what's going on because you want to be a part of what's about to happen with women's basketball. It's definitely a great time to, to jump on and be a part of us. This upcoming June and July, we'll be having basketball camps. We're going to have our day camp, June 14th through the 18th from 9 to 4, and that's going to be from students, girls, boys, grades 3rd to rising ninth grade, so 3rd to 8th grade, so you can be rising 
ninth grade. So come on out for a week of literal fundamental basketball, doing the things that you need to do to get better on the court. And then we're going to follow that up with a post-player academy in July, so July 13th through 15th from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. It's all about the post-players. It's all about making them better. <laughs> so, you know, we, we have to represent. The, we represent the 6'3", the 6'4", the 6'5". We even represent the 5'3", post-players, Chris. It doesn't matter. Just come out there and get a little better. <laughs> I know an AD that might you might be able to help out there at five three. I didn't say that. Look, I didn't say that, Coach. I did not say that. Oh, Coach Ebony Tanner Moore, this has been awesome. It's been a lot of fun. So I look forward to following you this season and and speaking to you again. So best of luck and thank you again for taking the time to share your story on the podcast. So it I wish you well. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Um, it's just so much to say, and I hope that I covered enough to give people an inside view of who I am um, and why they should support St. Augustine University. <laughs>